0: Good morning, everyone. It is great to see you. Great to see you. So glad you uh, you've come to learn this morning and to try to restore some semblance of normalcy in our lives after a very hectic week. Um, we're going to combine two things this morning: the parsha class, and then tonight was supposed to be the second part on the four-part series on tshuva this year for the Elul series. We were doing four models of tshuva, four modes of tshuva. Tshuva based on Rav Kuk, the Rav, the Alter Rebbe, and the Maharal. So I'm doing Tshuva based on the Rav, but because of the curfew tonight, the concert we're having right before the curfew, uh, that class won't happen tonight. So we're going to combine both of them into this morning, the Parsha and Tshuva. And it's really not a stretch because the two overlap perfectly. So as usual, we'll do a quick overview of the Parshios. We have the privilege of reading two Parshaos this coming week. Nitzavim Em Vayelach. And then we'll get into the specific Pesukim and really the Rav's view, one of the fundamental perspectives of the Rav in his Sefer al which is really a compendium of the Tshuva lectures that he gave. Parshas Nitzavim is the last day of Moshe's life. The Jewish people are gathered. He's delivering his final message, his final charge to them. And as we've been saying all well, along, Sefer Dvam really is a mussar Sefer. When you read Parshas Nitzavim, you're very moved. You don't need in this month of Elul it's wonderful to learn other Moshe but don't neglect the Torah itself, Sefer tvarim, which is a Moshe Sefer. You're standing, all of you, before Hashem, collectively, and then Moshe delineates each of the subgroups, the Roshichem, Shivteichem, Tabchem, Neshichem, from the aristocrats and the wealthy and the leaders to the woodchoppers and the water carriers and the children, Everyone, you're all here. The Lubavitcher Rebbe, Zatzah, wonders, why does Moshe do both? If he says, If you're all here, why does he delineate the subgroups? And if he's going to articulate each of the subgroups, why describe it as if they're all here? And he develops, Lubavitcher Rebbe develops this idea of the dual role that every one of us has on a regular basis. We have our individuality, we have our uniqueness, we have our personal mission, but we're also part of something greater than ourselves. And there's a balance between the two. We spoke about this previously, the Gemara, the core of our Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, at least one of the most moving parts of the davening, when the Tokov describes, we come before God, Kivnei Marom. And that's based on a Gemara in Rosh Hashanah that describes judgment. And the Gemara quotes three opinions. What B'nei Marom mean? Are we like sheep that walk single file? Are we like a narrow path? Are we like the legions of David Hamelach, And the ma'aral there is a beautiful perspective where he says, we're a little bit of all three. On the one hand, walking single file, being judged individually reflects our unique mission, our unique purpose, our unique role in life. On the other hand, we're part of an entity greater than ourselves. We're part of a community, we're part of a people, we're part of a nation. And so says the Rebbe, that's what's going on here. You're all standing here. You're part of a collective. You're part of something greater. But also, you're these subcategories. Don't lose your individuality. Don't concede or forfeit your uniqueness within the greater whole, within the greater good. We always read Nitzavim before Rosh Hashanah because this is the message. The way we survive judgment, the way that we can persevere and triumph in Din, is to blend, is to be part of the greater whole. Certainly one of the themes of the last few parshiyos, one of the great themes of our lives in the last week, and still now, is our interpersonal obligation towards one another, our responsibility towards one another. It's been magnificent as we read these parshiyos in this time of year to see it come true. The coordination, the WhatsApp groups, the volunteering, the selfless devotion... I know it was going to happen before the hurricane, even during the hurricane. But yesterday after the hurricane, how many messages? I cleaned up my house. Who needs help? Where do you need us next? I have a chainsaw. What's happening next? Really, something very, very special. Torah then warns us against idolatry, this unique relationship with Hashem, this bris, this covenant, which is binding, is binding in perpetuity. And it's not only binding, Moshe says, to you who are standing here today, but rather... Even Asher enenu those who are not here today. What kind of covenant? How could my parents obligate me to a contract that I didn't sign? What's the nature of that relationship? Of that contract? Of that covenant? Is for another time. Torah then goes on and promises us, which is what we're going to get to. You're going to repent. All these sukkim delineate that not if, but when there will be a time, the Ramban describes the Messianic era, when we will be moved to transform ourselves, to repent, to change, to grow, to seek perfection and what life will be like after that. Torah then continues describing some mitzvah, ambiguous A mitzvah is also anochi lo lo beautiful Avon Fried song, that this mitzvah, it's not in the heavens, it's not it's not inaccessible it's not unattainable it's not beyond your reach you can do it and that's a wonderful thought only question is what's the mitzvah? what is it talking about? we'll come back to that that's the section we're going to see and then the Torah says and gives us choices you're going to choose tovara Life is filled with free will and choices. Those choices have consequences and accountability. And if we make the right choices, we have life and the wrong choices. We can be dead even while we are alive. And then Parshas Vayelech is the very end of Moshe's life. The transfer to Yehoshua, the mitzvah of Hakel, it's really the very end for Moshe. And the Parsha and the last mitzvah in the whole Torah is the mitzvah to write a Sefer Torah, which again we've spoken about According to the rush, we fulfill it today through buying Sfarim. Is there still an individual obligation to write a Sefer Torah? Can you be Yotze if you buy a letter and someone else is a Sefer Torah? All for another time. Let's get to our psilkim. So I alluded to it. Perak Lamed Pasagir Aleph, chapter 30, verse 11. Bottom of page 1090, in the Arts scroll Stone Publish. Torah tells us, by the way, you can't help but notice in our double parsha, the names of the parshas Nitzavim, to stand still, and Vayelech, to move. The process of going from Nitzavim to Vayelech. From standing still to Vayelech, which is the root of the word Halacha. Halacha is what guides us in our journey, our travel through life. We go from Nitzavim to Vayelech, which is again reflective of this time of year. Ki mitzvah azos, This mitzvah that I'm commanding you today It's not hidden from you It's not too distant It's not in the heavens Which we know is a famous comment of the Gemara That halacha is not determined by a baskol Halacha is not determined by a heavenly voice Halacha is not dictated from above God gave us the tools And empowered us To develop halacha Down here Who can climb to the heavens and get it? Don't say that. It's not in the heavens. Nor is it on the other side of the sea that you can say who can go get it. Where is it? It's very close to you. It's accessible. Where? It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. This mitzvah that seems impossible. This mitzvah that seems, it can't be done. Don't think so. It's right in front of you. Where is it? Beficha, it's in your mouth. Uvelvavcha, it's in your heart. Why doesn't it say it's becha? Why does it say beficha uvelvavcha? It should say Bilibecha, it's in your heart. Bilvavcha sounds like you have two hearts, multiple hearts. How many hearts do we have? One heart, four valves but one heart. So why doesn't it say Bilibecha? <coughs> the Gemara asks us elsewhere. Krishma, when we have this word, and says it corresponds with the Yetzirah and the Yetzirah Tov. That we can direct both. We can even channel the Yetzirah. We channel that which seems like our biggest weakness, our passion, our desire, our temptation. That too can be channeled. Vavekha, you, have, you have taka two hearts. You have the heart that pumps for good. You have the heart that pumps and tries to tempt you for not good. But both can be channeled in the service of Hashem. The Alta Rebbe in the first half of Sefer Tanya, which is really based on this pasuk, "Beficho uvelavcha lemor," says "Bilvavcha" refers to why two hearts, "Avas Hashem" and "Yiras Hashem." There are two paradigms, two models of connecting to the Rebbe. This is the topic of our Shabbos Shuvah drasha, which, if you haven't noticed, is next Shabbos. It's a little scary, but uh, we're not ready yet. But Bilvavcha, the two hearts are the two ways in which we connect to Hashem. The two models of Avas Hashem, connecting to Hashem from a place of love and affection. And Yir Hashemayim, Yir Hashem, connecting to Hashem from a perspective of awe and reverence. Even a little bit of healthy fear. Yir onesh So the topic of our Shabbat Shiva Drusha is Yir HaShemayim. We do well with the Avas Hashem. We do well with the singing in the kumzitz and the love and Hashem and He loves me it's amazing He forgives me Hashem's unconditional love we do well with that but our generation could use a little bit more Yer so we're going to talk about the definition of what is Yer shemayim and how we can attain it and apply it and <coughs> live it in our lives maybe I'll get my voice back in time for next Shabbos excuse me so the altar rabbi, the tanya is based on Sefer Abaynonim there are Tzadikim Beinonim, Rishayim. And it's written for the Beinonim. And almost all of us, most of us, are Beinonim. And the Pifiicha uvelvavcha, the two hearts, Avos Hashem and Yiras Hashem. But the Ramban is another perspective. And I think we've developed it in the past. You can find it online. I didn't even check. But there's a Machlokas Rishon that the Mepharshim talk about what is this mitzvah? But I want to bring your attention to the Ramban and then move over to tonight's class that we're giving this morning about, uh, about the Rav's perspective on tshuva. <coughs> Excuse me. The Ramban writes Ki ha mitzvah Hazos Writes the Ramban V'tam Ki ha mitzvah Hazos Akola Torah Kula. The first perspective is talking about the entire Torah. You might think the whole Torah. Who could keep the Torah? So many details of Kashras, Shabbos. I like the pink jelly beans from the purple jelly beans. How do I heat the food? How do I uh, mix the tuna fish with mayonnaise? Kashras, there's a million symbols, and what do I do, and how do I keep it? Do I need to have two sets of salt shakers and ketchup? It's one enough. You might think, it's me'eva it's pashamayim. How do I call a Torah Kula? Who's this designed for? Brachos. We're gonna talk about this on Shabbat Shuvah. I think one of the expressions of healthy year, hashamayim, is being very careful with birchas hanen and the brachas that we make. Before and after we eat, you want to be mindful and feel the presence of the Almighty in our lives. Who could keep your chasanen? It's so complicated. Check cereal, which side, the corn, the wheat, which bracha, pizza, how many slices? What's the bracha on sushi? I mean who could keep who knows after bracha, how much do you have to eat in order to make the bracha achrona? You have to be a super genius to learn these halachas. and yet we, every simple person is obligated. So the first Pshad of the Ramban is, Kol Kula. You might think it's Bashamayim, it's Me'eval You have to be a super genius. You have to have incredible self-discipline. No. It's in your heart. It's in your mouth to be able to observe Torah and mitzvahs. So it's doable. It's accessible. It's realistic. It's reasonable. You could do it. But then the Ramban gives another. V'anachon, K'al Kol HaTorah, Kol HaMitzvah Chayom, no, the Ramban says that can't be the Pshat. How do I know? Because we don't have reference elsewhere. It says Hamitzanohi Mitzav yom That's referring to Kola Torah Kula. What is this? Hamitzvah Hazos. This is not Taryag 613. This is Hazos, One singular mitzvah. Come join us now. Which singular mitzvah? Let's try. Which singular mitzvah? Come down and learn a little Torah. <laughs> we just quoted the Balatanya. You just missed the Rebbe. So, which mitzvah? Hazos, this mitzvah. What's it on? Says Ramban. Al hachuvah You know what mitzvah it is? The mitzvah the Torah was just talking about. What's the section that comes immediately before? It tells us. Vishavta arashem alokecha. V'shamata mikolo. You're going to do chuvah. You're going to listen to Hashem's voice. V'shav Hashem alokecha shivuz chabri You're going to return to Hashem. Hashem is going to turn to you. Hashem is going to circumcise your heart over and over the whole section immediately before is describing predicting the time that we will hit rock bottom that we'll be sick and tired of living a hollow life of living a life of of struggle spiritually of emptiness of yearning of longing and we'll finally be ready to take that leap to do that tshuva says the Ramban that's the mitzvah hazos the mitzvah of tshuva and that makes sense because where does the where does tshuva occur? Beficha uvel Where does tshuva happen with your mouth? Says the Ramban. What is the for the Ramban? What is the core of tshuva that without which you have not fulfilled tshuva? Confession vidui. You have to recite the vidui. And to be yotze vidui, it has to be bepeh. It has to be out loud. We talked about vidui less parsha. Last week in Kisavo, the mikra bikurim, what's called vidui bikurim, and vidui Meiser. We asked why is it called vidui? If you, all you do is say, I did everything perfectly. What kind of confession is it to say I did everything perfectly? We saw a few different perspectives last week. So the Rambam says the core of Chuva. You know, if in my heart I conclude what I did was wrong, I'll never do it again. But I omitted, I skipped the part of confessing it out loud, I've not fulfilled chuva. The core of tshuva is confronting my own shortcomings and deficiencies and my willingness to articulate them. Not to the world. Our confession doesn't happen in a booth through a screen, though it would make my life much more interesting. (laughs) Our confession confession happens by ourselves. It's between us and our Creator. But it has to be out loud. Because until you articulate something, you don't take it seriously. It's not real. You're not... It's not in your grasp. So now it makes sense for the Ramban. What is this mitzvah? It's the mitzvah of tshuva. And that's why the Torah describes it as Loba Shema The ability to change is not beyond your grasp. Change is not something which is unrealistic. Every one of us can change our health practices, our emotional and relationship practices, our spiritual practices. Where is it? It's Baficha. We have to articulate where we came up short, what are our goals, what we'll do, how to remove the obstacles. And bavavcha, we have to conclude in our hearts, we're ready. Okay, this brings us over to if the mitzvah of our parasha, ki mitzvah azos, is the mitzvah of tshuva, now let's segue into Rabbi Salavetchik's perspective on tshuva. This is based mostly, not entirely, on the rav in Allah tshuva. And the rav describes basically the following. In secular wisdom, and even to a degree in secular law, When a person has committed an act, (coughs) it remains forever part of his identity. If a person murdered, they are forever a murderer. Can't ever lose that title. If a person stole, they are forever a thief. They can remunerate, they can compensate, but they will always be a thief. If a person became an addict, an alcoholic, they are forever an alcoholic. Can't walk into a bar, can't just have one drink. If a person was addicted to gambling, in in common wisdom, when a person has either committed an act or has a certain predisposition to certain behavior, it becomes intertwined in their very identity. No matter how much rehabilitation, no matter how much compensation, no matter how much effort to change, one can conquer themselves going forward, but in terms of their identity, wrapped up in their identity, it forever remains. And the question is, what is the Jewish view of the subject? Does tshuva have the capacity to even erase the past, to purge from the record, to reset our identity? Or do we believe like the common wisdom that no, you can can get off of the punishment and you can improve to never repeat but yeah, it's part of who you are. You can't get rid of it. And that's really at the core of what Rabbi Salavechik saw in tshuva, in two components of tshuva. A very beautiful and a very brilliant analysis. The Rav says, that we're going to use the word sin, but I hate the word sin. Those of you who have been with me for a long time know, sin is a Christian word, it's not a Jewish word. Chate does not translate to sin. Chate translates to a miss a missed opportunity hu hichti in modern Hebrew means he missed if you're watching basketball somebody misses a foul shot hu hichti he missed in Tanakh a is like you shoot an arrow at a target you miss a is a missed opportunity Hashem says here are the opportunities to draw close to me here are the opportunities to <coughs> achieve perfection in your life and when you violate Hashem's will it's a missed opportunity it's a chet it's not a sin. So when you miss those opportunities, when you do a chayt, when you do an aveira, we'll use the Hebrew term, when you do a chayt, you do an Avera, there are two impacts that it has on you. The Rav described number one, it's called chayt ha-machayev. Chayt is a machayev, it obligates. There's a consequence. There's accountability for what we did. Chayt is machayev. So, on the one hand, If I got a DUI, God forbid, chas v'shalom. If I drove, if a person, say someone else, if a person drove all intoxicated, Chait is machayev. They're pulled over, they fail the breathalyzer, and there's a machayev, there's consequences. You come before the judge, I don't know what the consequences are, but jail time, a fine, points on your record, parole, whatever the case is, the court system, the justice system has consequences. But the Rav said there's also a secondary impact of the Chet. Chait is mechayev, and Chet is also mitame. Chet leaves a residual impression or impact. It leaves residue on your soul. It becomes intertwined in your identity. You bear the mark of that indiscretion, of that mistake, of that error in judgment. So... You can understand this best if you contrast it to a true accident or mistake, right? Somebody tipped over a glass of milk, so they got to clean it up, maybe they ruined their wife or their mother or their favorite whatever, broke the cell phone. So there's a machayv, you got to replace the person's cell phone. But is chet metameh? Are you a bad person, a worse person? Do you carry the label, the shame? Does it leave a residual stain on you that you knocked over a glass of milk? Of course not. It was unintentional. Maybe it was avoidable. Maybe it was unavoidable. So there's a mechaev to it, but it's not matame. The Rav is talking about for us, chait When we willingly and willfully disregard, neglect, violate the will, the goal of the Almighty, the Ratzon Hashem, it's mechaev, we got to pay the piper. This is a schar va'onash. One of the questions we ask the candidate for conversion, both in the interview process and literally while they stand in the mikveh, among the questions of <coughs> which principles they believe in, we ask, do you believe in schar va'onash? Do you subscribe to the principle of reward and punishment? This is not some fluffy, feel-good kumbaya religion. Do your best, everything's okay. Hashem loves us. Hashem is forgiving of us. Hashem is our Father, but at the same time, there's, there's reward and punishment. We live in a world of consequences. So chait is machayev. There's consequences, but chait says the rav is also mitame. Where do you see this source? Number one, the Rambam in Hilchas Eidus describes why certain people are ineligible. A habitual sinner cannot testify. They're not a valid witness. Is that a punishment? Says the We have categories of of um, ineligible witnesses: a gambler, those learning the dafyomi covered part of this; pigeon racers, and gamblers, and relatives, and so on. But here the Rambam talks about a category of if you have two witnesses that testify about you, that you habitually do a chayt or an aveirah, you're ineligible to testify. Is that a punishment to you? You do that chayt perpetually, so now your punishment is? You can't testify. So the Rav said, no, that's not a punishment. It's a reality. And what's the reality? The reality is your integrity has been Impaired has been compromised. (coughs) You lack the discipline to a degree you lack the dignity to observe properly. That touches on your core identity, your very integrity, and therefore you're ineligible to testify. It's similar in our world. A criminal who's released from jail or gets off for a technicality may have escaped the onesh of the punishment, but they continue to lack credibility. Right? That person who tries to testify will be cross-examined and what will the opposing lawyer do immediately and likely successfully? They'll challenge the credibility. This person did X, Y, Z, they just are in jail. Ah, they got off on a technicality, so what they got off on the punishment, but their credibility is questioned, is damaged. So the Rav said there's two effects, there's two impacts. There's two residual ongoing influences of chayt, of avera, of, for lack of a better term, sin. Number one, chait is machayev. There's onash and schar. There's reward and punishment. There's consequences. But number two, chait is metame. We'd like to think it's not. I had a bad moment. I showed poor judgment. Let's move on. No. Even if you escape the consequence, you carry what it says about you, its impact on the blemish, the stain on your personality. And corresponding with the two impacts of chait, says the rav, are two forms of tshuva, two levels of tshuva of repentance. What the Rav describes as kapara and tahara. Kapara is the form of tshuva that we're most familiar with. Kapara is atonement. What is atonement? Atonement is forgiveness. You come before the judge, look, I know I did this. But if you look at my record, I'm a virtuous, righteous person. I'm so good to the community. The community needs me. So true, a DUI should land me in jail for a year, but I'm begging the court to let me off. Why? Because I regret what I did. I admit to you that I did it and that I'm a better person and I'm committed for the future, never do it again. And what might the judge say? You know, you seem sincere. That seems authentic. I'll tell you what, I'm letting you off. I'm letting you off. That's kapara, it's atonement, it's forgiveness, it's escaping the consequence. And what I described, what one would say to the judge in order to achieve that, is what the Rambam describes as the process of tshuva, source 2. Mahiyachuva. What is the process of tshuva? And here the Rambam is describing what the Rav terms the tshuva of kapara, of atonement. <laughs> first thing you have to do is abandon your bad way and remove it from your thoughts and conclude you're not going to do it again you can't come to God while you're chewing the non-kosher gum and say, God I am so sorry, I just, I can't stop chewing juicy fruit I love it, delicious, can't give it up while you're chewing the gum you have to be I'm just giving a silly example it could be many more how sincere is that repentance? Which, by the way, makes a lot of sense because how well would your marriage do if your spouse, in whom you're disappointed, comes to you and while they're doing the very thing that you're upset about, says, I'm so sorry for the thing that while they're continuing to do it? How sincere could your apology be if you don't abandon exactly the behavior you claim to be apologetic for? And the same thing is true in our relationship with Hashem. How sincere is that apology if you keep doing it? Number one says, the Ram, stop doing it. <laughs> You have to have charotah. You have to have regret. Right? If you say, that was awesome. You know what? I'm not going to do it again, but I don't regret that. That affair I had, I won't do it again, but that was fantastic. I don't regret that. When we have an affair, when we have infidelity, when we violate the trust of the Rebun Alam, how sincere can our promise not to do it again be? How sincere can our apology be if we don't have regret? Number two is Regret. Number three, so again, we could talk about another time why the Rambam has it in this particular order. It's really counterintuitive, this order. But the Rambam says abandon the behavior, regret the behavior, and confess the behavior. To commit, never do it again. And this is the Rambam's description of (coughs) the tshuva of kapara, of atonement, of forgiveness. I want to get off of the consequences. I want to be released of the punishment, I got to have regret, confession, regret, commitment not to do it, not to do it again. However, we said there's two components of sin. What does this address, this tshuva? It addresses the component of the chait hamachayev. It addresses, it removes, the obligation, which is why it's similar, what is that word kapara? We're going to use that word a lot in the liturgy of Elul, Slichos, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. What is the word kapara? Where does it come from? Kofir. Look at source number three. The Torah tells us that if I own an animal, an ox, we just did this also in the daf, I own an animal and I didn't guard it properly. And it kills. You must. The ox receives the capital punishment of Skelah. And the owner of the animal is also deserving of death. By the way, the Gemara tells us, we just did this in the daf, that this ox is put on trial. An ox gores. We don't just listen to anyone. You need to have two witnesses. And how many judges hear the trial of the ox that gores? 23. 23 judges. Can you imagine? The ox sits at the defendant's table in the courtroom, Represented by his lawyer Heard by a, by a court of 23 judges And then we take the ox out Just as we would a human being Who is obligated in capital punishment And we give the ox skila. We don't just shoot the ox Or hit it with a car Or shecht it skila like a human being Why are we treating the animal? An animal has no moral conscience No free will Why are we treating the animal Like a human being? This was the topic of the Chabur I gave this past Shabbos morning but anyway, not only should the animal be killed, but Gamba alav you must the owner too. So do we put the owner to death, Taka? Says the Pasuk, no. Im kofar yushas alav, in asam No, the atonement offering can be paid. The owner pays his way out. Really, he should be put to death. But instead of being put to death, In Yushas alav. He makes the atonement, the ransom payment. So what is kapara? What is (coughs) kofar? It's escaping the punishment. It's being let off of the consequence. So this first system, the first formula of tshuva, confession, regret, commitment for the future, what does that achieve? It gets me off of the punishment. It relieves me of the chayta machayev. It achieves kapara. It achieves in kofar yushas alav, it relieves me of the punishment, but I still continue to carry the blemish, the stain, the impact on my personality, on my record, on my credibility, on my identity. How do I address that? Yes? If the ox kills somebody, is the owner responsible for this or does she just get off? No, if the ox kills, the owner's responsible, because the ox is. The ox's ability to kill was predicated on his not being watched or guarded properly. So there's accountability for the owner. And really the owner should be killed too. The Torah says, but we don't kill the owner. We let him off in Kofor Yusha Salav. He pays a, a penalty and that, that gets him off of the consequence. So you see from there that the word Kofor, Kapara, means getting off of the consequence. Now for Kapara, to get relief of the Chetim that can be achieved even without Tshuva. Even without the sincere repentance, how? Source number four, the Gemara Yumapehe tells us that Yom Kippur itself. Rabbi taught Rabbi Omer, akol kol ben ben On all averos, if you did tshuva or you didn't do tshuva, Yom Kippur and Mechaper, Chutzmi, miporek Ol, megal b'torah for Shemaso Chuvle, Yom Akipur Rebbe, Rebbe Yudanasi had a tradition that aside from these exceptions, Yom Kippur comes and you come to Shul, you fast on Yom Kippur. Maybe even if you didn't do either of those, Itzumo Shoyom Mechaper, you just encountered that day on the calendar, it wipes your slate clean. What's that idea like? I don't know, what if the library announced any outstanding library books that are overdue? We're having a day that we're granting clemency. You're forgiven, there's no fine, you're good to go. I don't know, what if the IRS... (laughs) (laughs) It's a collective national day of pardon. Just like a criminal can be pardoned, we, the criminals, to Hashem, (laughs) Yitzumosho Yom Mechaper. Yom Kippur is a collective, communal day of pardon. God says you're pardoned. Well, I this lowlife who didn't even repent, has no regret, didn't commit for the future, never confessed, is pardoned? Yeah. He has the good fortune of being a Jew. And God loves His children. And therefore, encountering the day on the calendar, Itsumo shayom is mechaper. As the Gemara says in Pesachim, source number five, <coughs> I'm sorry, before we get to that. So you see that Yom Kippur itself, yom is So the word kapara, corresponding with the first chayta machaiv, to get off of the consequence, certainly repentance can achieve it. But not only repentance, even Yom Kippur itself. There it can be a day of pardon. But even when the criminal is pardoned, they continue to carry that label that they are a criminal. They continue to have challenged credibility. What about tahara? Tahara, which is purifying the tshuva of tahara, to remove the stain or the blemish. How is that achieved? It's very difficult. It's almost... It's something which is greatly challenging. It's a type of tshuva where you can actually go back in time and erase an experience from the past. True, historically it happened... But spiritually, from a spiritual perspective, I can edit my life to not just remove the consequence of previous indiscretion, but I can edit my life so the indiscretions never ever happened at all. Perhaps that's what the Gemara P'sacham says means when it says, nivru Seven things were created before the world. Before God ever put the world in motion, before He created the world, the world is driven by seven values or ideals that were in God's mind, so to say, before He ever created the world. And what are they? Torah, Tshuva, Gan Eden, Gehenem, Hamikdash, Kisei HaKavod, Ushmo Mashiach. These were part of the fabric of creation before creation ever even took shape. So one of them is Tshuva. I find it so heartening that God created tshuva before He created the world. Because what does that mean? What did He anticipate from the inhabitants of that world? He knew that we would need tshuva. He didn't create a utopian world, a utopian society. He didn't create a perfect world where people are supposed to be perfect. He created a human world of the free will that's described in our parshios, of the mistakes and the shortcomings and the challenges. (coughs) Hashem knew that we would need a system of repair, that we would need the ability to come back. And therefore, even before he started the world, even before the relationship. Could you imagine, you get married, and at the engagement you say, look, we're gonna make mistakes. I know that you're not gonna be perfect. So here's the system that when we have a fight, here's how we're gonna make up. When we disagree, here's how we're gonna reconcile. That's a great marriage. Would you say that's a terrible marriage? What do you mean you're anticipating fighting? You're anticipating doing things wrong? What kind of marriage is that? It's a healthy, beautiful marriage. Because we're humans. So either we can plan and anticipate being human, or we could pretend we're not. We're superhuman. And then have problems. So the Reboto Shalom created Tshuva even before he created the world because he anticipated and knew as our creator that we're humans and will need a system to repair, a system to come back. And that system doesn't only let us get off the hook of the consequences, it even lets us edit our own lives. That's Tahara. In the 13 midos of Hashem, the 13 attributes that we invoke over and over and over again, Source 6. Right? Hashem gave us the secret: Gemara and Rosh Hashanah, that when you fail me, when you violate me, when I get really angry at you, you need to, <coughs> excuse me, not say these things. You need to emulate these things, these 13 attributes, and I can't help but forgive you. And what are the 13 attributes? They conclude: Varav Chesed, the MS. God has both kindness. And truth, to which the question is: Well, which is it? If God is showing us kindness and forgiving us, then that's not truth. And if He's holding us to truth, to justice, then that's not an act of kindness. That's justice. So, which is it? Which is it? Is it Chesed, or is it Ms? Because they contradict. If the judge is showing compassion, then he's not really applying. The justice. And if he's applying justice, then where's the kindness? Is it chesed or is it emes? And perhaps the answer is it's both. The chuva of kapara is a great gift. God lets us off the hook without paying for the crime. But the tshuva of tahara, that's din. Meaning, you know what the chesed is? Chesed is when we do tshuva and we invoke Hashem's chesed, it's that He let us off the hook. So you're right. The judge says... You're stopped for DUI. You should spend a year in jail. But you know what? You're good to the community. The rest of your record is clean. I believe you're sincere. You'll never do it again. I'm letting you off, dog. Parole. That's chesed. But when the person comes, we're having done tshuva of tahara. When they present themselves and say, "You can't hold me accountable for that crime because I'm no longer that person. That never happened. I have transformed myself so radically." that that is no longer part of me. That's not part of my record. I've edited it, I've purged it. So that's not chesed. When the judge then shows kindness, what is that? It's emes. The judge is executing truth to the person who has redefined themselves, who has redefined themselves entirely. And this, you know, just, just to give you an example of what this means. We have a lot of balay tshuva, it's a famous story of the Ger Rebbe who was in Yerushalayim and he met a yeshiva bachar and he said where where do you learn? And the yeshiva bachar named Baal Tshuva Yeshiva Eish or Sameach he said I'm learning in that yeshiva but I'm not a Baal to which the Ger Rebbe looked at him and he said and Favos Nisht why not? Why aren't you a Baal Some people use that term disparagingly which is horrific Kemara says B'mokam Shabali Tshuva Omdim where Balei Tshuva stand, the most righteous can't stand people who have radically changed their lives. They are at the highest, highest, highest level. But the Gereb is, and why aren't you a Tshuva? We should all be Balei Tshuva. So you meet a Balei Tshuva, who, whether they're a radical Balchuva Tshuva or a moderate Balchuva, Tshuva, whether the changes were transformational or the changes were small adjustments. But somebody's a Tshuva. So let's say I see you and you and I went to camp or to school together many years ago and let's say I wasn't the most, I'm not talking about myself obviously, but let's say I wasn't the most uh, well-behaved kid or I I engaged in activities or events that I wouldn't be proud of. So the tshuva of kapara, when you see me, you say, Hey, remember that party? Remember that day? Remember that? I say, Yeah, yeah, you know, I've changed my life a lot. Those were fun times, but... Kapara, the tshuva of kapara I really, I, you know, I regret that I'm not going to do it again And uh, yeah, I remember it But I regret that I did that And I'm committed not to do it again And I'm looking for God to forgive me To let me off the hook for those mistakes that we made in high school The chuva of tahara is You come up to me and you say Hey, remember when we, and I say Nope, I, I don't know what you're talking about So what do you mean you don't know what I'm talking about? Today you would be like I have the Snapchat story recorded I have the video to prove it Right in our day it was much easier to be a mischievous kid in our day. Today you can't afford to be mischievous because everyone's got a cell phone out. And it's part of the digital record the moment it happens. It's a greater responsibility in our children not to be mischievous. Well you could still get away with being mischievous. So someone says to me, What do you mean you don't what are you talking about? There were a hundred witnesses who were at that event, that party. I said, oh, sorry, don't know what you're talking about. The tshuva of Tahara lets me edit my life. It is so radical, it's so transformational that I say to you, I don't know what you're talking about. I was never there. That never happened. That's not me. That's not me. And to achieve this level, incredibly challenging, the incredibly high level, what the Rav describes not as the tshuva of kapara, but the tshuva of tahara, not just removing the chayta machayev, not just getting off the hook for the punishment, but erasing the chetam erasing the blemish, the stain, the lack of credibility, the impact to my integrity, going back to do a hard reset. Right, That's the difference. That's another a modern day example. You have a problem with your phone or your computer. And as a virus, you could do a soft reset and you could do a factory reset. A soft reset leaves all your apps and leaves all your data and leaves all of your personal settings, but you did a soft reset. So you got rid of the bug. That's tshuva of kapara. That's getting rid of the chetam of the bug, the virus. You do a factory reset, you restore all the settings to the way it was. No one can look at that phone and ever knew it belonged to you. There's no trace of a phone call you made, a website you visited, an app you downloaded. The factory reset, that's tshuva of tahara. That's the ability to go back we can do the tshuva of kapara, a soft reset. Most of us, that's the tshuva that we're doing. We come to Hashem Yom Adin and we say, release us of the chayt HaMachayev. I don't want this virus. I don't want this bug. <coughs> I don't want this problem. But the tshuva of tahara, <coughs> excuse me, that even higher level, that, that is a factory reset. This higher level, can't be done through an intermediary. We said the lower level, the tshuva of kapara, shayom is mechaper. The Gemara told us according to Rebbe Nasi, you're a Jew, you're alive somewhere on the planet, the 10th of Tishrei comes, you got a soft reset. You got a, you were pardoned of your sins. Ah, you did nothing to achieve, to earn that pardon. doesn't matter. You have the good fortune of being born a Jew, you're part of a people that collectively received a pardon. you pardon that day. That can get you off the hook. That can release you of the Chaita Machayev. That can achieve Kapara. But Tahara, no calendar day and no shliach, no intermediary, no emissary. Tahara, to get a factory reset, to be able to edit your life, that can only be done by yourself. <coughs> and that's why There's two vidui's on Yom Kippur. There's that of the koin gadol who acts on behalf of the whole people. That achieves kapara. He's our shliach. But there's also the individual vidui. That's the person who wants tahara. You can't ride someone else's shoulders. You can't, through an intermediary, you can't outsource the tshuva of tahara. You can outsource the tshuva of kapara. You can hire a lawyer to get you off the hook. You can't hire a lawyer to make you a better person. Through a lawyer, a Kohen Gadol, you can get released of the punishment. Through the chazin, you can get Kapara, through an intermediary. But tahara, to, to transform, to edit, to purge, to do a factory reset on your life, that can only be done yourself. And that's the Gemara Nava Dezorah, 7. Famous Gemara of Rav Elazer ben Derdaya which I'll tell you a story outside. I'm sorry, excuse me for all the coughing. Rebbelazer and Durdaya, the Gemara says, had really forfeited his very soul. He had visited every prostitute on earth. He'd employed the services of every harlot on earth. There was one left, the most beautiful. And the Gemara describes the effort that he showed in order to go to her. That... He made his way across the river and over the, and so on, and at the moment that he was being intimate with her, she expelled air, and she said to Elazar ben Durdaya, "The same way I've expelled air and it can't be recovered within me, you, Elazar ben Durdaya, you're hopeless, and your tshuva can never be accepted." What's her lashon? Kishem she'efi Eina ena Now getting Musa from a prostitute That's pretty rough You've really hit rock bottom When the prostitute you're being intimate with Says to you You know You really have no hope What does he do? How does he react? He goes and he sits between the mountains And he says Please Please advocate for me in heaven Let my repentance be accepted And what do they say? Nope. He goes to the Shemaim And what do they say? (coughs) Nope. We're taking care of ourselves. (coughs) He goes to the Chama Ulavana, the sun and the moon. And what do they say? Sorry, Nevakesh Atzmein, we're taking care of ourselves. He goes to the Kochavim Mazalos, the stars and the constellations. And what do they say? We're taking care of ourselves. And what does he realize? He sits down and he says, Ain Taloi B. Wow. I can't outsource this. Nobody can advocate for me. No one can represent me. Ain't Ella B. The matter relies on me alone. What does he do? He niach ben Virkov He puts his head between his legs and he cries out. In other words, he assumes what position? He assumes the fetal position and he cries like a baby. What's the imagery clearly of the Gemara? He's trying to go back to rebirth, to being a baby. Actually, Yazusah Nishmasah, until he dies in that moment. Yazusah Amra, a heavenly voice goes out and says, Rabbi Elazar ben Mizuman Mizuma Ba. Rabbi Elazar ben has been invited into the world to come. Wow. What a story. A minute ago, he was an low-life, reject, immoral, pathetic, narcissistic, self centered, hedonistic, pursuing every harlot on earth. And a moment later, why? All because he put his head between his legs? All because he assumed the fetal position, cried, and said, Now all of a sudden he got smicha? Rebbe Eliza ben Derdaya? He's invited into the world to come? Wow. What's the Gemara telling us? <coughs> the hopeless had hope when, when he stopped relying on others and he realized that the answer rests only in him. The answer rests only in us. That tshuva of Tahara, that transformation, that ability to erase, purge, edit our lives, that can't be done through anyone else. Not the vidoy of the Kohen Gadol, not a lawyer in court, not the heavens and the earth and the stars and the constellations and the sun and the moon, ain That level, that relies on us alone. So how do we achieve it? What do we do? If our example of chuvah hametameh, sorry cheitametameh, the idea that sin corrupts, it doesn't just have consequences, but it also corrupts. Right? We said that if two witnesses testify, the Rambam halchazedus. If two witnesses testify about someone that they habitually sin, they have no credibility, they are invalid to testify. Is that a punishment? No. It's a consequence, it's a reality of their corruption. How do you earn your integrity, your credibility back? So the Rambam also in the source number eight, Me'emasai chazeris malva baribis, somebody who lends with interest, how do they earn their credibility back? when they tear up their contracts their loan documents and when they commit to not even lend with interest to a non-Jew is it permissible to lend with interest to a non-Jew? of course it's permissible but this person is going above and beyond they are transforming their lives (coughs) and the same example is given for how the Masachik Bechuvia how the person who gambles is able to restore. And the sochre Shviz, somebody who uses Shemitah produce, The way that you come back is to go above and beyond. Is to go above and beyond. You got to destroy your poker chips and your files. It's not enough to say, I'm not gambling. I have to destroy the magnet I got from the casino. I got to get rid of my poker chips. Because if I want to achieve tshuva of tahara, I have to transform myself if I want to get rid of the impact of the corruption, not just, not just get rid of the consequence or the punishment. Maybe this explains the order of the brachas in Shimon Esrei. Surah number nine. We say, God, I want to come back to your Torah. Bring me back with complete repentance. And then afterwards we say, God, forgive us. Aren't the brachas out of order? Ever occur to you? You've been saying this three times a day for however many or few years. Do you ever wonder, isn't the order out of order? First you should say, S'lach forgive me. Now, Hashiveinu avinu, b'tshuva shlema. doesn't slicha come before tshuva? Why do we say it in this order? And why do we say both? Isn't it repentant? Isn't it, isn't it repetitive? Why say both? (coughs) Maybe the answer is that HaShiveinu Avinu refers to the Tshuva of Tahara. God, I'm just not looking to get off the punishment. Slach l'anu means Mechalanu kipashanu Mochev v'solech Hanun Mabel sloach Let me off the punishment. I really don't want that consequence. I really don't want that result. But first we say HaShiveinu Avinu What we're saying is, Hashem, whether you hold me accountable or not with the consequence, either way, I want to transform myself. You tell the judge, look, you may throw the book at me. I want you to know that even if you throw the book at me, I'm going to be a better person. I'm not just promising to be a better person as a way of avoiding the punishment. My desire, my aspiration to transform my life is not a strategy to avoid the consequence whether you give me the consequence or not, either way, I want to transform my life. So hashiveinu avinu v'achazireinu b'tshuva shlema And only afterwards, please let me off of the consequence, but either way, either way, I want to be a different and I want to be a better person. The process of the tshuva of Tahara very much parallels the experience of the mikvah. Torah tells us, source 11, you go to the mikvah and what happens? Virachatz Bamayim? Vitaher. Where is the model, the precedent, the paradigm of tshuva of Tahara? Comes from mikvah. A person who wants to reset themselves goes to the mikvah. And what is the result? Vitaher. Source 12, the Palsikin Vayikra. Mikochat Toseichim Hashem? Titaru. What's the goal of going to the mikvah? Of Titaru Look at the way the Ramam describes The experience of going to the mikvah. What is the experience of going to the mikvah? A person has to Be naked, unclothed But not just do they have to take their clothing off For the mikvah to be valid They have to essentially go back to The way they were born There can be no barrier There can be no blemish There can be no impediment You have to go back To the day you were born to the way you emerged from your mother's womb. And what are you doing when you go in the mikvah? The mikvah, the Sefer Achinuch describes in the next source. But what is the mikvah? <coughs> when you go in the mikvah, the water of the mikvah is symbolic of the embryonic fluid. It's the most natural water that we have. Where does the water in the mikvah come from? It's the rainwater. It's all natural water. You could go into Mayan, which is a spring. But if you're going in a mikvah, it's coming from rainwater. It's mayim she'uvim. If you collected that water in a bucket or a pail or a hose, it invalidates the water. It has to be water literally from the rain. Now, again, we have a complex system. We have a pit that collects the water from the roof. That's the rainwater. And it, through a hole, is connected to a dunking pit where we fill that with clear, clean water. And the fact that they're connected transforms that water to be as if it's the rainwater. I say that lest anyone be afraid to go. The complex system of the mikveh I could explain to you another time. We have a bor ha and a bor zriya and a ham and a bor tefila, all for another time. But in theory, a person wants to build a kosher mikveh in their backyard and you dig a hole that can fill 40 saw of rainwater. It has to be rainwater. Most natural water. You go back, you go into it, you immerse in it in your most natural state. What is the whole imagery? You're going back into the womb. You're in the embryonic fluid, and how do you dunk in the mikvah? You have to lift your feet off the ground and you have to crouch underneath. What position are you assuming in the mikveh? The fetal position. Every time one immerses in the mikvah, they are a fetus in the womb. It's the experience of rebirth. That's what the mikvah is all about. Look at the Rambam's description. V'afa bihhain, Ramaz Yeshbadavar. Just like when you go in the mikvah, it has the capacity to give you a rebirth, so too tshuva has the capacity to give you a sense of rebirth and renewal and to start again. But here's my favorite part. It's an amazing halacha. When do you become tahor? When you're in the mikvah or when you re-emerge? The Rambam writes, <coughs> you know when you become tahor? Not when you're in the mikvah. When you're under the water, you're still tameh. When do you become tahor? When you come back up for air. When you re-emerge. When you go back into the womb as that fetus, when you have that rebirth, that's nice. You're still tameh. You know when you become Tahor? Only when you come up out of the water. That's the whole story of going from Yom Kippur into Sukkos. Yom Kippur, you're in the womb. Yom Kippur, you're in the embryonic fluid. You're in the fetal position. It's easy to be Tahor. Come back out of the mikvah into the world. Sit in the sukkah with family and friends. Eat and drink and be merry. And let's see whether you could bring it all with you. It's re-emerging into the world, which is the test of being Tahor. So we saw as in the Rav's vision, there's two components of chait, and correspondingly, there's two components of tshuva. The two components of chait are chait are, is mechaev and chait is metame. Chait, on the one hand, gives us consequences. On the other hand, it corrupts us. You get rid of the consequences through the tshuva of kapara, confession, regret, commitment for the future. You can get rid of the consequences through an intermediary, the Kohen Gadol, even the calendar, But to achieve the tshuva of Tahara, to get rid of the chet, that corrupts, that stains, that can only be done. That is up to us and us alone to want to grow in such a fashion that we edit our own lives. So, coming full circle, In Judaism, if a person ever murdered, are they always a murderer? No. If they they do tshuva of kapara, the answer is yes, they remain a murderer. They just got off of the consequence. But a person can do a tshuva of tahara that we can renew our lives to the extent, transform our lives to the extent that we're editing our very lives. That does not have to be intertwined with our identity. It doesn't have to be part of who we are we have the ability to redefine ourselves as long as we conclude ella b. I hope you'll join us this evening 4 o'clock bounce houses 4.30 pizza, suda, soda and 5.30 a 5.15 mincha 5.30 concert with Eitan Katz in memory of Ben Grossman we're going to daven for those most affected by Irma the entrance fee to come tonight is donating something to the victims of Irma There's a list we sent out of things that are needed. There's no financial cost, but you have to care about those around you. That is the entrance fee to get into the concert tonight. hope to see everybody.